Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Dan Hood, who is a financial analyst and historian who studies the rise and fall of civilizations. We discuss how temperament is one of the key indicators in the cycle and is reflected in the quality of leaders that rise to power. Welcome, Dan. Thank you very much. So, Dan, you and I have had some interesting discussions over the last few months, really, and I I really wanted to to share that information and your background with my listeners. So tell us a little bit about you, uh, your background, and in particular, why you're really passionate about what what you do. Sure, sure. Um, so, so, wow. Where, where, where do I start? Well, let, let's ju- ju- just start by saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of Generation X. Um, so, you know, I was uh, born uh, just at the uh, the tail end of, of, of the '70s, um, and it's important. I think the generational aspect is is, is important, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, so, yeah, I'm from from, from Southern Manchester uh, in England. You know, birthplace of the, the, the mighty Industrial Revolution. So, went to a good grammar school. Uh, finish my uh, GCSEs, and rather than than go uh, and head off to, to university, uh, you know, did GCSEs A levels. Um, I actually got an, an opportunity to join join the armed forces. So from there, I served with uh, with the, the, the parachute regiment. So very famous regiments uh, uh, formed at the behest of Sir Winston Churchill, um, and that was a, a great honour. So you know that kind of really uh, uh, set my my, my character in, in good stead. And, you know, I hadn't intended actually to, to join join the armed forces. It was only um, that they came round to, you know, kind of they come round to the schools and, and you know, they're, they're kind of looking for, for, for future leaders and whatnot. And so, yeah, so, so I did that. I served for, for, for about seven years uh, and that was prior to um, prior joining and after 9-11. So, you know, 9-11 was a huge tipping point in history, which which we'll talk about. And you know, I saw uh, uh, tours of duty in, in you know, Northern Ireland, in, in in Bosnia, in in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and and that was a real real eye opener that that you know perhaps things things weren't weren't right. So kind of I, I was a little bit delusioned after that. Certainly Iraq and Afghanistan, I left, and then I I finished uh, finished my degree in finance, and, and thereafter I worked as as a, a financial advisor. Um, you know, around the country and, and, and with high net worth clients across the spectrum of, of financial services. So that gave me a good, good grounding into to that whole world. And, you know, that, that was before drawing and after the 2008 global financial crisis. And, and again, that was another huge, huge tipping point. And I, I would argue in civilizational history, a kind of warning shot across the bow uh, of our civilization. And then after that, I decided to move into uh, technology, uh, financial technologies. I got an opportunity to work uh, overseas for um, uh, for Saxo Bank. They just bought uh, a company called Leverett Technologies. And uh, there I uh, I got an opportunity to, to live in Israel. So the Middle East and, and obviously, uh, you know, that part of the region is, is really, really interesting. Obviously, the the, the 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 home of all of the Abrahamic faiths and, uh, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. And uh, and there I worked as, as, as a, a broker and, and I was helping companies set up international trading brokerages. So that gave me a really good insight into commodities, finance, geopolitics, uh, so on and so forth. And, and um, 
And then kind of more recently, or that whole experience, or because of that whole experience, I uh, I began to, 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 to kind of delve a little bit deeper into the world of geopolitics. And of course, you can't understand geopolitics if you don't understand history. And it was there when kind of went back to school, I, I began to to take a really uh, a deeper interest into what I call deep history and civilizational history. And, and, you know, I met some really, really great people and really great scholars and historians and researchers and scientists who were working on some really incredible theories that, you know, blew my mind apart. And, and you know, that whole experience, it made me realize that, that I know, you know, very little. And, and I think, you know, you've really got to have an inquisitive mind and, and, and a thirst and, uh, so here we are. So so yeah. So now I'm I'm at the beginning of a, a new journey. So we've just launched a new venture called Thought Culture, uh, where we start to to kind of look at past, present, future in a bit more detail and try to recognise patterns and uh, and see if we can use history as this kind of vast early early warning system, as Norman Cousins said. So um, so that that's where I'm I'm so far. So it's about you understanding the cycles we've been through, you know, what history teaches us, you know, whether we're repeating patterns from the past. And I know you focus quite a bit on temperament as well, Dan. So tell us a little bit about where that fits in, you know, the human temperament, if you like. Sure. Right. So, so wow, where, 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 where do we start then? So, so I work with a, with a group of scientists. There's one in particular, a really brilliant scientist in Australia who's actually one of the largest. Uh, he actually runs one of the largest franchises in, in, in Australia and New Zealand. He's also a brilliant research scientist and uh, author of um, a, a theory called biohistory. And really, there's this proposition that, that civil, the rise and fall of civilizations uh, is based upon temperament and temperament can be defined you know, as, as the psychological and emotional foundations of personality, which underpins, uh, underpins our behavior. So our virtues, vices, morals, ethics, how we structure the economy, choose our governments. And, you know, we, we believe that temperament has a biological basis, a physiological basis, which changes over time. And it really impacts us and our culture, shaping us right down to our DNA. So, so in order to get a, a better understanding of this, we, we take a, a, a multidisciplinary approach. You know, we're, we're kind of expert generalists. So, you know, it's a myth to say that, that there's a jack of, uh, of all trades. Actually, if you really want to understand something laterally and, and deeply and, and, and broadly, then there's no better way than, than becoming a multidisciplinarian. And so we analyze in real time many different subjects, you know, from history, biology, epigenetics, cross-cultural anthropology, uh, neuroendocrinology, and many, many other other uh, uh, disciplines and subjects. And really what we're saying is that environment, cultural values, child rearing patterns, you know, all of these forces combine to determine whether societies prosper or collapse and how social change could not only be predicted, but potentially, and this is the key, potentially modified through things like biochemistry. And, and you know, we really believe that, that our only hope now for civilization may lie hidden deep within human nature itself. And, you know, we're just trying to figure out and unlock these secrets um, where perhaps others have failed. And, and you know, we, we, we think that, um, you know, our, our understanding of ourselves has fallen really, really far behind. And, and even though we live in a really sophisticated civilization with very advanced technologies, we've certainly fallen behind in terms of human nature. And, and it's a paradox, you know, the more enlightened we've become, the more science-based we've become, the less 
we actually know about ourselves and and hopefully we're just trying to address address that balance but uh, you know fundamentally i believe that there are there is such a thing as, as civilization cycles they exist they're driven by changes or gener generational phase changes in temperament and what we're trying to do is to track these and you know make predictions about what's going to happen and uh, and we can also go back in history and we can look at all of these other different civilizations from you know Babylonian Empire, Egyptian Empire, uh, our own you know Greece, Rome, particularly Rome, where we see this distinct civilization cycle playing out. And interestingly, what we've uncovered is that there are cycles within the civilization cycle. So there are things like lemming cycles. There's the recession cycle, and yeah, it just seems to be a really inherent feature in nature, in human nature. These cycles, these rhythms. So. Uh, yeah, that's where that's where we're up to. Wow, fascinating, Dan. So we're looking at a really global view there. As you say, it's geopolitical. You're looking at sort of how do we understand civilizations going back in time and how they've risen and fallen, but also how do we understand individual characters and their temperament within those pictures and, and what do we see? What do we see now then? What do you make of the times we're in? Sure, sure. Yeah, so it's a great question. So, you know, th th this is the $64,000 question. And, and, and I think, you know, I always explain it that, you know, most of us can sense to use Star Wars terminology that there's great disturbance in the force, but most of us are unable to make sense of it. And really that's what we're trying to do as researchers and scholars and historians and scientists and, you know, kind of students of civilizational mechanics. And, and so I, I would say that the best framework within which to make sense of all of these great changes taking place at the minute, this kind of interregnum period, this period of king between kings, between you know the different superpowers, and of course the main superpowers we can think of today, the United States, the kind of liberal world order, the rules-based uh, international order, post-World War, World War II rules-based international order. And of course, you've got other civilization states like China, Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Russia, particularly China, which is America's greatest kind of challenger or, or rival. And really, what I say is that, you know, America very much looks to me like, you know, it, 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 it's very, very similar to the Ro Roman Empire. So, if you look at Greece, if you look at Rome, in fact, Rome's a derivative of, of the Greeks and the Etruscans, you know, the Anatolians, which is modern day Turkey. Um, but if you look at Rome, um, the, the reason that Rome elicits such fascination is because, you know, how could such a monumental civilization, a powerful and mighty superpower end up in total ruins? What happened? What went wrong? Um, and really, that's what we're tracking. We're tracking these changes in uh, temperament, generational temperament, really marked changes in behavior, you know, how, why we think, feel and, and behave the way that we do. So I would say the biggest thing to kind of focus on uh, right now is this idea that, that America is paralleling the Roman Empire, perhaps late stage Rome for the same underlying, uh, same underlying reasons. And in fact, in order to understand this, I think it's it's probably it's a good thing if, if you're what I call the dual faith reason mind. Right. So so you need a combination of science and religious thinking, faith and reason. And if you can do that, kind of you get to this base reality, this ultimate reality, which is where you want to be. So the, the modern West, you know, spearheaded by America is kind of in decline, really. And, and you know, 
civilization is very fragile. It kind of hinges on, you know, the stuff of life to be able to eat, move about, have shelter, be free from state tribal coercion, be secure, you know, abroad, safe at home. And it certainly frees us, frees us up from mere, mere survival. But if we put the modern West, you know, under a microscope, and I make a distinction between the, the modern West and kind of pre-World War I, World War II Western civilization, today what we can observe really is a phalanx of telltale signs that, you know, our civilization is in trouble. So, you know, just to kind of fire off a couple of things, indigenous population decline, you know, cultural passivism, loss of confidence, morale, crisis of masculinity, femininity across the sectors among all age groups, you know, changes to attitudes towards marriage, the nuclear family, which is believed to be outdated. You know, we can see changes in child rearing patterns, moral values, you know, the rise of passive welfare, bankrupting, you know, many countries now. I mean, Britain is, is really struggling with this whole welfare state. Uh, you know, the, the decline of, of, of the market economy. You can go on and on, decline in nationalism, sovereignty, civic engagement with the state. Um, and, and a big one, actually, is, is falling levels of fertility rates. So I think, except Israel, there isn't a single OECD nation that has a fertility rate above 2.1, which is just population replacement level. So um, on top of that, falling testosterone, um, the return of disease, resistance to it falling. So I, I can go on and on and on. And, and you know, really what I've found in the study of, of the rise and fall of civilizations, particularly the fall of civilizations, there's one phenomenon that all of these collapsed civilizations had in common it, it is that they refused to believe it could happen to them. So I think we should we should be left in no in doubt in, in no doubt really that you know that the, the modern West is facing this relentless onslaught. And you know there are rules, there are laws in civilizational mechanics. And, and I'm afraid that you know today's political class, certainly representative of the bulk of, of wider societal temperament, are demonstrating their loyalty to this idea that there is this huge civilization cycle playing out. And, and for that reason, I think that you know our, our kind of transition um, will, will will accelerate. But you know this is the natural order of things. I think Ray Dalio has covered this in his. He wrote a brilliant book recently covering uh, I think five years, five hundred years of history, and he talks about this changing international order. Um, but I but I think Jane, that's the, the the kind of framework within which all of these changes make sense. This idea that you know we're, we're coming to the end of certainly 400 years of Western supremacy, 200 years of Anglo-Saxon supremacy, and then 30 years of the liberal world order um, where America really was the undisputed unipolar superpower once the USSR kind of fell by, by the wayside uh, a generation ago. So how we deal with that, I think, is really important. I think that, you know, we've really got to acknowledge that perhaps we're moving into, you know, a fourth mode of, uh, or a fourth way, which is maybe civilizationism. And, and you know, I, I am certainly a, a proponent for this idea of there being a multipolar world order where you've got different civilization states balancing each other's out, uh, each other out. And, you know, I'm certainly no fan of, of this idea that Western values are universal values and we should be imposing them on other cultures and civilizations. I think that's getting us into a world of trouble. It's creating this huge countercultural backlash. And, uh, you know, we have so many problems internally. 
I think maybe we should kind of just go back to basics and, you know, work on ourselves. And, and you know, we shouldn't be the temptation, of course, when things go wrong is to scapegoat, to blame the other people, to blame others. And and, and I think that's an absolute disaster. We shouldn't do that. And um, uh, so so that's really, you know, the, the basis for for why I do what I do and what we're uh, and why we're doing what what we're doing. So that's fascinating in that we need to, and it's so hard for us as individuals, isn't it, or even businesses to sort of join all the dots. To me, there seems to be such a cycle of crises going on uh, that, you know, how do you make sense of it all? How do you piece it together? How do you understand what role government has, what role companies have, what role individuals have, or even families, as you say, how do we find those rules and how do we find hope in that there is something we can do whilst things may be changing can we have some agency in that change that uh it influences the way it turns out i mean clearly we can't stop a cycle from completing but maybe what what we complete into can be influenced in some way by those of us who see what's happening Sure. So it, you know, it's a great question, and 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 I really, you know, and that's that's what we that's that that's the whole point of our existence is to try to really th think about these deep questions and also the right questions. I find that, you know, if you, if you figure out the right questions to ask, the answers are relatively straightforward. They certainly jump out at you. And I think that, you know, if we think about it, you know, if if you take take kind of Rome for example, you know, it began as a kingdom on a hill. Um, it, it, it evolved into this sophisticated republic and then expanded into this you know, really big, harsh uh, empire. And then it suddenly imploded and went away. And in fact, you know, I think Rome was, was sacked by the Visigoths. I think it was 476 AD. And, and what was really interesting is, you know, this idea that, that, that certainly when we're looking at ourselves as individuals, this idea of, of temperament and we have this kind of temperamental scaffolding. And, and you know, if, you, if you think of the evolution of life, so single cells, multi cells, you know, differentiation from plants to animals, the transition from ocean to land, mammals and consciousness, it's taken us billions of years to kind of get to this place where here you and I in, in our ordinariness you know you're a little bit of the universe I'm a little bit of the universe and we're trying to better understand ourselves and better understand the universe I think that's incredible so you know what we're trying to do is recognize just how valuable consciousness is you know there could be a lot of kind of you know one kind of you know what what a lot of planets out there that that, are, that have fallen by the wayside for whatever reason and and so we should we you know we've not found alien life so that means we should really kind of take what we've got and and um, just take a bit more care of it and, and just recognize that, you know, it could be, and Elon Musk has talked about this many times that, you know, we should really preserve consciousness. We certainly don't want to regress. You know, our temperamental set point as a species is very low. And if you think about it, how do we go from behaving like hunter gatherer, you know, around a campfire, you know, with spears and so on and so forth to behaving like people in New York. And all of that is this, this idea of kind of the evolution aspects of, of cycles and, and temperament and we've built this really elaborate kind of temperamental scaffolding um, and we don't want to do do things to kind of send that back send us back towards single cell direct direction of travel so that's what we're trying to do is figure out you know how do we become a super civilization how do we shorten or short circuit this decay decline collapse phenomenon and in the west this is broad about 
by, you know, we've been so successful, we've been so wealthy that that is the basis for the seeds of our decline because that undermines character, it undermines temperament. I'd argue that we're certainly seeing that play out today. And, you know, how do we just kind of put a stop loss in and reinforce that? And, and you know, maybe we can, maybe we can't, but but I think we should, you know, we should try try to do that. So, yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think that the solutions for the individual, what's good for the civilization, for all civilizations, is good for the individual and, and vice versa. So, you know, there, there are, if you think about nature, there, there are really basic rules that, that can create incredible complexity. You know, we've just got to go, go back to basics, really, and, and just work on temperament, character. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's an ongoing it's an ongoing going going process and uh, you know if we can uh, you know I think we certainly need to ask these first principle questions and uh, and and go a bit deeper with them especially now when when there's this huge changing kind of world order taking place. It's uh, I mean it's fascinating what you say, Dan, and I I just think today more than ever we don't focus on things so much as character and temperament and at, at school or at home or in organisations. You know I wonder whether there is some sense of needing to go back to first principles and explore these things more. You know how do you how does temperament impact how you deal with a challenge or a crisis how does it build resilience I just think we don't seem to learn those things early enough in life and then you know those of us that ha haven't had uh you know a, a supportive upbringing uh, perhaps then flounder later uh and then if the overall culture is not supporting those things may maybe that's one of the areas where something could change I don't know yeah, I mean, you, you're right. And, and, you know, just simplify it. I mean, if you think about it, you know, environment, child rearing patterns, just how you raise your children, right? Cultural values. And, you know, if you think about kind of religions, for example, you know, I, I'm, I'm dual faith reason. So, you know, I kind of grew up in a, in a really kind of atheistic liberal world. And, and so I'm a product of that. But, you know, I also respect kind of the traditions, the old traditions, the old ways. And I certainly respect you know, kind of I'm part of the Abrahamic faith, so Judaism, Christianity, um, you know, Islam, obviously that, that you know, so I think that, that, that there is something with this idea of, of, of believing in, a, you know, monotheistic religion, this idea of believing in God. I think that, you know, if, if I put my kind of scientific cap on, I would say something like that, you know, God, God is reality personified, right? So God is ultimate reality. Um, and there's a reason for that, because reality is absolute. And, and of course, if you rage against reality, if you rage against God, you're effectively raging against existence itself. And so it's very, you know, Francis Bacon, novum organum, nature to be commanded must be obeyed. And so I think just the basics, really, I think that, you know, it, kind of parenting skills, that's something that seems to, you know, it, it kind of what how you raise your children. Um, even from birth, even before you have your children, it's a really difficult notion to to, and that Brit segues nicely into this into this revolutionary research field in in biology called epigenetics. So, epigenetics actually is is it's actually a Greek 
a Greek word, which or a, the, the prefix is epi, which is over, outside of, around in it. You know, it's this notion that there are mysterious processes that seem to operate above the genome. And, and in fact, it's a really revolutionary research field in biology. Um, and it just so happens um, that, it, that, it, that, that it's one of the best scientific lenses within which the fate and fortunes of entire civilizations uh, can be understood. Um, and, and, you know, kind of, again, just in layman's terms, it's explained as uh, instructional information, you know, linked to DNA that changes genetic activity without affecting the genetic code itself. And then what happens is epigenetic marks instruct cells to process parts of DNA in different, different ways. And then these instructions are tagged, layered, uh, and these tell our body which genes to ignore and which to use. So it's an ongoing process, entirely normal to development. And, and to better understand epigenetic impacts on people, uh, individuals, and, and entire civilizations, the best way I like to explain is if you, know, if you think of a, of a beautiful grand piano, so you've got the fixed keys, so, you know, an, an 88 key piano, you've got the octaves, you've got uh, the lower notes, you know, 56, 52 white keys, 36 black keys. And those piano keys are similar to our genes, right? So they're fixed from birth. They're not going to change throughout our lifetime. But what can change, and this is really interesting, what can change is how those keys are played and dependent upon how those keys are played. So that could be environment, it could be the way you raise your children, it could be the cultural technologies, if you're an atheist, if you believe in God, if you're you know, Jewish, if you're Christian, if you're Muslim, it could mean the difference between you know, a harmonic, harmonic masterpiece such as Beethoven or two cats fighting you know, in the street along with everything in between. So this is what we mean when we introduce the idea that there is this temperamental spectrum, this character spectrum, and this applies to us as individuals, and it also scales up to entire civilizations through space and time, right? And, and actually with this, with this kind of science of temperament, we can then go on to map out where societies are on the spectrum. And, you know, we, we tend to gravitate to those who are of similar temperament, similar character, um, which forms the underlying basis of politics and world affairs. Um, and, you know, we've got to understand that the environment you know, kind of the way we were raised, the cultural technologies, the, the religions and, you know, the, the kind of myths and whatnot, uh, whether you're religious, whether you're secular, whether you're atheist, you know, we're being played constantly like mood music. So again, variables like, you know, different environments, cultural values, child rearing patterns, all of this can influence our gene expression. In other words, how we think, feel and, and ultimately behave. So yeah, it, it's interesting. And we also believe that you know, changes in social, political, economic behavior uh, reflects changes in temperament. And we accept the prevailing view that, that temperament is this kind of behavioral and emotional state. It's biologically based. It appears early in life. But it really, really the key, I think, to this is parenting style and other environmental variables. And, and so, you know, I, I think that in order to really understand all of these changes going on and, and you know, without getting too technical, I think, you know, it, it's, it's epigenetics and character, it's behavior. And, you know, I think that, that we can kind of, you know, we, we, we get this sense of, of, you know, good behavior, bad behavior. And, and usually good behavior is good for us, right? It's good for us for, for a reason. Bad behavior is bad for us for a reason. It harms us. And, and you know, again, you can kind of scale this up to, to civilizations, which is the highest classification, really, of societal structure so you know i don't really subscribe to, to the idea of this of this 
kind of global world, world you know, this kind of kind of globalism thing with the kind of international community. I, I think I think at the highest level, you know, we 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 can get to kind of civilizations, and we can see these distinct civilizations by temperament, right? The Chinese, you know, the the, the bulk of the Chinese or Sinic civilizations, they behave in a certain way. The Islamic world behaves in a certain way. You know, the Western world behaves in a certain way, and, and so on and so forth. You know, India with with kind of uh, um, Brahman Hinduism, they behave in, in a certain way. So you've got all of these different civilizations that, that are uh, defined by temperament along the, the, the global temperament spectrum. Amazing, Dan. And I, uh, what yeah. I was fascinated by, and I, and I think it really explains it clearly to me, is your description of the grand piano. I mean, that really, you know, is a very clear picture for me of, of epigenetics and, and how you can change the music that comes out of it, but maybe not the yeah. structure of the piano. Uh, depends, you know, whether you spent your time doing your piano lessons, doesn't it really? Mm. And I've been fascinated. So I'm a, a a mother to do two daughters, but now a grandmother to three granddaughters. So what's interesting for me is watching the generations. You know what what parenting skills have have gone through to the next generation from you know my mother to or perhaps my grandmother even to my mother and to me and then to my children, and watching that generational some of it. You know you you see patterns repeated. You see things that you know principles and and values that you instilled in your children and and then otherwise perhaps changes in that too but I know my daughter says to me now ah I see <laughs> I see what a difficult job this parenting is uh so it's uh it's not something we you know none of this is something we're prepared for we're we're not taught this stuff at school Dan we don't know we know we may learn about history but in a very sort of truncated way we don't learn about this big picture and about how it all fits together and how what our place in it is and then you know what so what I'm really interested in and and maybe we can just talk about that a bit is our agency as individuals so you know we talk a little bit about leadership and you just touched there on this idea that you know, there seems to be to some of us a, a kind of push towards a, a world leadership, you know, one world leadership. And that's maybe a thing that some people are pushing for. But you've suggested there that maybe that and I know Elon Musk had a view on this the other day, but maybe that isn't the best outcome for us as civilization. Maybe we do need something that's more compartmentalized and recognizes our our different temperaments so I wonder where we as individuals fit where we look for for the leaders that can uh, guide us and how we can find the leadership qualities within ourselves it's a big question there yeah no that's a great question and and, and actually you, you know you, you kind of you know it, it, it it's true. I mean, Elon Musk is really interested. So for me, I think, you know, he he really is. And, you know, he, he's incredible. I think he, he you know, if, if you think of that evolution of life and, and consciousness, I think that his brain is just absolutely incredible because, you know, usually when, when he gets, you know, so really, really bright, fiercely intelligent and high IQ people that then, you know, maybe the human side of them is not not that great. And they're kind of more like machines and, and you know, and and but Elon, you know, he really cares about civilization, and he genuinely cares about civilization. It's just, yeah, you know, it's just incredible to to watch him him work. You know, he he's. I think history will will 
if you look at kind of all of the brains out there, he, he's kind of at the apex and, and you know, he's doing incredible things. He, he's, you know, he, he's kind of the, the, the alpha brain and you can see all these incredible companies. But ultimately as well, he, he believes in people, he cares. And, and you're right. He, 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 so he showed up at the, you know, really funny. He showed up at the World um, uh, Government Summit in Dubai and, and basically blasted them. And, and he said, listen, you know, um, you know, this whole one world government thing is, is maybe is not such a good idea. And, and the reason for that is, you know, if, if we, we can have incredible systemic risk and, and you know, it, it is probably better and healthier for a world based on different civilizations that are, you know, com competing without reaching for the sword. I think mean, that's really important, but it's different. It's you know, we should embrace diversity. I think that it, I want to go to, I don't want to go to another part of the world and just see uniformity or universalism. I, I, I want to see, you know, different cultures and heritages and traditions and, and different ways of, of doing things and so on and so forth. And and uh, and I think that that adds, you know, to, to the experience. It doesn't subtract. And, you, you know, I, listen, I understand why, where they're coming from and, and, the, and the idea, you know, if, if, if kind of these shadowy elites that are trying to impose this kind of universalism on everybody, you know, from their point of view, they say, well, you know, there are all of these inherent risks, these kind of civilizational, these world killing risks. And, and you know, we've got kind of climate change to think about. And therefore, you know, there just needs to be a few of us making decisions. But that's just a load of nonsense. I, I think that, uh, you know, f first of all, um, you know, what we shouldn't be doing is 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 trying to kind of impose our, our values and, and 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 snuff out other societies and cultures and, and I think that that's something that we've you know we've done in the last 30 years or so and you know the western world is, is certainly kind of kind of you know uh, uh, you know that's probably the, the dark side of, of 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 how we've behaved certainly throughout throughout history and I don't think that's a good a good thing but yeah it's it's it, it's it's interesting I, I think that uh Again, I always go go back to this multipolar idea. We we they should we should have a world based on civilizations. Listen, that that seems to me this kind of this, this fourth modus you know modus operandi that seems to be emerging. If you think of the twentieth century, you know the, the the we have two failed philosophical experiments. You know Nazism, communism, absolute disasters. Liberalism prevailed, but you know after World War II, we had this kind of bipolar world between communism, capitalism, the USSR, the United States, and then, of course, the USSR imploded, and the United States and liberal values, liberal, um, the liberal world order kind of ruled supreme. And really, back then, we should have been a bit more humble, I think, and, and you know, which is, you know, understandable. We 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 didn't. We started to kind of impose and and try and impose our values on others. And you know, we've got to a stage now where you know the civilization cycle is taking place, and other civilizations are rising and returning. If you focus particularly on India uh, and and China, you know, these have got deep, deep, deep histories. Particularly China, thousands and thousands of years. India too. And you know, they um, they they're kind of returning again, and and we can't ignore them. And and but yeah, you know, I, I think for, from an individual, just from an individual perspective, I think I think that you know you just got to do the basics. I think you know and understand that the, the value in parenting. I mean, my my child, we you know he 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 loves swimming, so he's he's you know he he's um, uh, he, he trains every day. He he hopes to become an Olympic swimmer. You know he 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 can speak multiple languages. 
He, um, you know, he, he's learned how to program at the age of 10. He's programming now. We teach him to read, just do the basics, really. I think that's that's how if you want to change a civilization. You've got to start at home. And I think that's the key. You know, it's it's uh, you've got to kind of kind of start at home and, and just worry about, you know, what's happening in your own nucleus and, and just try to find, you know, like like minded, like minded people, really, I think. You know the problem is we've got too many people trying to change the world, and and yeah. uh, you we know need to we should ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you know just get the basics right, make your bed. You know, I think Jordan Peterson talked about this in Twelve Rules yeah. for Life. He, he this idea of mm-hmm. you know you got to make your bed first before you start worrying about you know worrying worrying about what everybody else is doing and and thinking and, and behaving. So I, I think there's some truth to that. You know, you don't want to disengage completely from the world. You know, we we we, we um, but but equally, you know, we've just got to be a bit more cognizant that you know we can't you know we shouldn't be trying to impose our values you know we should just walk in other people's shoes a little bit and i think that you know that that to me seems seems more sensible because the alternative unfortunately is you know we're at this tipping point in history and uh you know the last thing that we want to we want to see is is some kind of you know uh, uh, conflict erupting because you know these things seem to have a habit of coming back round pretty quickly human nature hasn't changed all all very much so you know we've kind of still got our reptilian brains uh medieval institutions and godlike technologies and uh so we've got to just be mindful that you know yeah that we uh we don't do stupid things like instigate wars and fight wars and and uh, and unfortunately we're seeing uh we're seeing just that you know particularly in in europe with uh with ukraine which is just you know it's horrendous really it's uh it, 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 you know, I think that we should be trying to figure out ways to stop, you know, stop all these kind of conflicts and prevent them. And, and you know, we've got it and we can do that. You know, we can understand the basis for conflicts and why they break out, because, again, I, I think, you know, the, the key this time is is human nature. If we can crack that code and we can understand ourselves better, um, why we think, feel and ultimately behave the way we do. Then we've got a chance to try to short circuit some of these catastrophes and crises, like you said, the cycle of crisis, which is great. I think that's a perfect explanation for, you know, the kind of future, that the, the world that we've just entered, this kind of interregnum era. We can see it today, can't we? You know, the markets have tanked. You know, you've got banks failing all over the place. And I think that this is kind of the downrange consequences of some really, you know, questionable policies uh, at a governmental level, you know, I think a lot of the inflation we're experiencing is kind of, you know, it's um, we've kind of brought that on ourselves. So I think there's this need for common sense. You know, we kind of just go back to basics. I don't think we should have this kind of linear. You know, I, th- I think you, you mentioned one of your guests previously on the previous podcast, David Murray, and he talked about lateral and linear thinkers. That's right. Um, that's right. So I, I think there is this need for you know, certainly when you, when in times of crisis, you tend to find that the lateral thinkers, well, like us now, here, what this is what we're doing. We're seeing things from different points of view. You know, it's the physics framework for thinking. I think that Richard Feynman, arguably one of the greatest theoretical physicists, you know, that Western civilization produced, you know, he said it best. You've got to see things from a different point of view. You don't want to be too dogmatic. And equally, you don't want to be too skeptical either. A great scientist is somewhere in the middle where, you know, we're trying to think, figure things out. And, and get to the truth of things to make things better. I think that's that's the key, really. So I've chosen to kind of make a stand in the whole area of human nature. I think that's what, what matters most. It's biology. 
Um, you know, others are, are operating in different areas and, and different disciplines. But but I think this time the key is this multidisciplinary approach. You know, this kind of expert generalism. I think that uh, if we can do that, we can start to synthesize past, present, future, and we can make better contributions. You know, we can kind of dance in and out of different subjects and whatnot. And and critical thinking. I think that's that's the key, really. It is um, critical thinking, and I think that's it. You know, again, I don't think we're really taught that. I think we're taught, hmm. you know, very uh, well, uh, as David Murrin would say, linear thinking. You know, and and we've seen that you know, in the last three years with the pandemic and so on, very linear thinking, one problem, one solution, where even my last guest, Ken Cloak, was talking about, you know, we we find a problem, we've got to listen to the problem, then we've got to say there will be multiple solutions to that problem, let's explore them all and see whether we choose one or whether we choose several or, or you know, it, it's life's much more complex than we try and make it and of course the human brain likes to simplify things but sometimes we need to dive into the complexity to understand things more deeply yeah that's right i mean it's really interesting you 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 raise a great point you know if you think about it kind of you know you have reasoning by first principles and uh reasoning by analogy so most of us, most of the day, reason by analogy. In other words, you know, we just copy what others do because otherwise you'd never get through the day. You know, you, you, if you think about it, the brain, you know, it, it expends an enormous amount of energy. And so we take choose the path of least resistance, heuristic thinking. But actually, if you really want to get to the bottom of things, and this is why I'm a big, you know, fan of, of just basics like reading, literally just learning how to read a book and, and it helps with concentration and focus, especially in a kind of, digital you know social media age with tiktok and twitter and and you know these kind of adhd technologies i I think that there's no substitute if we really want to get to the truth of things and the bottom of things there's no substitute to reasoning by first principles which is which simply means boiling things down to the fundamental truths asking the right questions and then reasoning back up again and if we do that you know we can see things from different point of view it's just the basics. This is what we used to do, by the way. So, you know, none of this is, is new. This is perhaps what made Western civilization so interesting and, and other civilizations, Greece, Rome, uh, at their early stages of the civilization cycle. And I think what happens is, you know, we kind of stagnate. We, we look like a really tired, exhausted civilization now. And we've kind of lost confidence. We've lost self-belief. We're not sure. Everything's confusing. Everything's chaotic. So I always say you just go back to basics. You know, first of all, we've got to we've got to recognize the value of human contact. So, you know, and, and I think that the pandemic and how we responded and behaved to the pandemic was really interesting. You know, we really saw that the huge differences. And, you, you know, I, yeah, I, I, it, it also seemed like there was incredible kind of dogma. You know, Richard Feynman said it best. He said science is the ignorance of experts. It's not. The, the, the kind of ego or hubris of experts um and and richard Feynman knows what he's talking about he he, he was you know he founded a law of, of, of you know a, a fundamental law in physics a, a, a law of nature he he won a nobel prize a joint nobel prize for qed quantum electrodynamics which is one of the most mathematically precise theorems i think that that anyone has ever been awarded a nobel prize for and he says it best he says you know You've got to see things from a different point of view. 
Don't be dogmatic. Don't be too skeptical. But, you know, th there is a kind of reality and, and we shouldn't deviate from that. We should respect it. And, you know, uh, yeah, we should just it's the human aspect of it. I think that that's that's the, the, the key here. Yeah. Just remembering we're, we're kind of humans. And, and, you know, so that's why I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in uh, you know, people should socialize more, not less. Uh, and and the, the lockdowns, I think, were cataclysmic. I think that, um, you know, that that was particularly on the younger generations. You know, imagine that you're a young teenager and, you know, you can't take those years back. I mean, if you're 16, you, you're about to leave, you know, you're, you're kind of either leaving school or, or you know, the, the, this is the, that whole social aspect is really important if you're going to university. And so this idea that, that yeah, that people were just criminalized for working, walking out of their front door. And, and um, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's it's not good. So I hope that doesn't happen again. And, and we just, you know, we, we kind of rise up really to, to make sure that people are held to account, because I think there are, there are, you know, quite a few people who enjoyed the whole power that they had that makes sense and and um yeah the the, the the just the human aspect of it I, I think that you know we should should and that's what civilization is is about it's people um it is you know and, and uh, at the end of the day i mean thank you very much i think for coming back to that it is about human nature human connection about human beings understanding their humanity basically i think right and um yeah, brilliant. I think, have you got a final word, a final sort of message for, for listeners, Dan? Yeah, I look, you know, I think it's, first of all, I would say this is probably one of the most exciting times to be alive. The fact that, you know, if you think about it, we're going through enormous changes, but, you know, where, you know, there's also hope as well. I mean, it, it depends, you know, if, if you believe in the Abrahamic faith, Judaism, Christianity, is that, there is also a story of hope as well. So even though we're going through these enormous cyclical changes, um, something new will emerge, something new will come from it. So, you know, I, I, I the, the key, you know, you don't want to be too optimistic and equally you don't want to be too pessimistic either and ju just embrace it. You know, I think that um, uh, there's some really, really, you know, we're, we're going to go through some really interesting times. And, um, and like I said, the key... For me, the key is, you know, how, how do we think about short circuit, short circuiting the kind of ne negative aspects of the civilization cycle, you know, and, and, and you know, as I said, we, we want to think about, you know, maybe some kind of a super civilization where, you know, the, our story hasn't finished. I, th I think that there are far too many out there that, that have kind of given up. I think that's where you get this whole artificial intelligence from. you know in fact the antonym for artificial intelligence is real stupidity right so it, it, it's kind of like this idea that you know maybe we're giving up on humans because you know they can't think properly anymore so we need to put our faith and trust in artificial intelligence and that's going to save us and solve all the problems and so on and so forth so i don't think that's true i think that you know our story isn't over we're just going through these huge changes we're evolving and, you know, I, I think we have all we we have the ability to create something pretty special. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely confident of that. Uh, and I wouldn't say that if I didn't think it was true. It's just, you know, we, we've got to really kind of get together and talk about this stuff and just find out better than 
you know we've ever done before what's actually going on and and uh you know synthesize past present and future you know we've got to understand that the past is the future we've got to go back we've got to turn inwards and i think you know if you think of kind of the 20th century you had the manhattan project which was 20th century theoretical physics where they split the atom they harnessed the atom unfortunately they created the bomb and um, but this time i think you know we need some kind of genesis project for the 21st century and it's all about harnessing the best aspects of human nature and, and really kind of keeping consciousness growing and expanding and if we do that we'll be okay thank you for that finishing <laughs> on that note of hope dan and uh, you know i hope all of the listeners will find that there is something that they feel they can do and i know you and i are going to uh, have a, a separate conversation to see what we can initiate that can help those that would like to think more deeply about this to get involved so uh watch this space for more information and where can people find you dan uh, right now so i'm on you can find me on linkedin so i'm there and, and i'm you know i'm posting regularly i'm kind of like a machine gun with, with my post so and then behind the scenes i'm, I'm you know we're, we're kind of putting together this this portal this platform uh, for culture where you know we talk about we'll look at you know past present future in more detail and we'll also help you read the mood music of society and civilizations better within which to kind of make better predictions i think the key is helping people to make sense of all of these changes going on and, and what i find is that when people understand something that immediately you know elicits a sense of calm and and it's okay that makes sense now it makes sense and that's the key really it's just you know the last thing we need is kind of scapegoating persecution seeing people's you know psychological defenses being overwhelmed you know kipling's if you can keep if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs blaming it on you then you'll be a man or a woman my son or daughter so <laughs> my favorite verses there dan so a good one to finish on absolutely so let's hope we can all keep our heads and you know actually create a better and more exciting future. Dan, thank you very, very much for your time. It's been fascinating. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegunn.co.uk slash video. The link is in the show notes.